New Year, and welcome to the first podcast of 2024, The Sherry Sylvester Show. We're expanding our Ninth in Congress podcast beyond the Capitol to the world. I want to start out the year with an update on the ongoing war against history, both in Texas and in the rest of the country. In my year-end newsletter, I wrote that America is so divided that we can't agree on enough facts to even have a decent argument. And no place is that more true than in the area of history. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Justice Ken Wise. I have known Judge Wise since he first ran for the bench decades ago. Today sits on the 14th Court of Appeals, first appointed by Texas Governor Rick Perry in October 2013 and subsequently elected by the people of Texas. In addition to his day job, he is a noted Texas historian, the host of the Wise About Texas podcast, which you should listen to after you finish this one. He is also the president of the Texas State Historical Association, the oldest historical organization in the country, and one of the many battlegrounds of the Texas history wars. I'm going to talk to him about that, but first, when this news broke yesterday, I thought it would be a good way to kick off the podcast. I want to hear your thoughts about it. Some new information just into us. The National Park Service is no longer planning to make controversial changes to a park in Old City. A draft proposal was released for Welcome Park that would have removed a statue of William Penn. The park is at the site of Penn's home at 2nd and Walnut. Now, Independence National Historical Park says the proposal was released prematurely and no changes are planned for the William Penn statue. There was a lot of controversy on social mm -hmm. media on that. Judge Weiss, thanks so much for coming in to uh, talk about history today. What did you think about this? Is this a sign? This was reversed very quickly, taking down the statue of William Penn. Well, first of all, thanks very much for having me on the Sherry Sylvester show. It's a real treat to be with you. Um, I think it's sad any time a statue is removed. I think that's been an unfortunate trend across the country for the past few years. And uh, you're taking down history, uh, you're taking down art, you're depriving the people of memories of their place and an opportunity to learn. And whether that history is something that you want to emulate or something you never want to repeat, uh, it still exists. And I think that uh, I'm not surprised that the people of Pennsylvania would would uh, rebel, so to speak, against an op and, uh, somebody trying to take down a statue of the founder. I mean, so. Does it also say a lot about what we don't know about history. I mean, William Penn, a Quaker, right? abolitionist from the beginning, never had any slaves, made treaties with the Indians that lasted for hundreds of years or a long time. Yeah. I mean, it, it, why, why take his statue down? I mean, it, it uh, just kind of moved off the anti-Confederate statues and then any, anybody, they'll take down anybody. Yeah, and I, and I don't I don't know what whomever in the federal government uh, that made that decision what they might have been thinking, um, but I pr almost promise you they didn't know nearly as much about William Penn as you just told your audience, <laughs> and uh, that's one of the problems. Well, and I'm not a Pennsylvanian. Right. I mean, this I. isn't hard to find out. This <laughs> is a right. couple of lines of Wikipedia. Exactly. Could could give this to you. Uh, so you're the new president of the Texas State Historical Association. Yes. What's that job mean? 
with the wars that we've had in Texas over taking down statues and well, everything else. Uh, no place is exempt from controversy on, uh, on when history is taught, whether it's taught, how it's taught, etc. Um, the, t- the, the events that led to my taking over the presidency in the middle of this year really had more to do with the governance of the board than anything else. It was a very narrow dispute. Now, the media has spun it into uh, more than it really was, but uh, there were some individuals who uh, basically had taken over the board of directors in violation of the bylaws. The bylaws, since the beginning of the organization 128 years ago, uh, has specified that the association, the board of the association was to be balanced between academic members and non-academic members of the board. And that had gotten out of balance uh, because of the actions of a very few. And uh, it needed to be brought back into balance. Unfortunately, uh, they dug their heels in uh, and uh, a court showed them the proper way uh, by ruling that the board was, in fact, unbalanced. Ruled two different times that that board was unbalanced. And uh, finally, that litigation was resolved quickly. Um, and the board will be brought back in balance. We're in that process right now. Because the TSHA is never intended to be uh, solely any one type of organization. We're more of an umbrella organization with different components related to the practice of history. One of those components is an academic component, uh, a very strong academic component, which we will continue to have, and is very important uh, and critical. The association was founded in 1897 by a group that were, some were academic and some were non-academic, and it was done on purpose. And it served the association very well for all these many years. Every association is going to go through a period where you need a renewal, and we're in that period now, and we're, we're definitely on the upswing. So history is on the upswing, and people are getting more and more history. Uh, involved in their own personal histories through ancestry. Yeah. Academics is on the downswing. Uh, <laughs> at, at the end of the year, I think our, our uh, Ivy League universities really gave us a, a real push that there needs to be some reevaluation. So you're kind of a coming up in, in at the Texas State Historical Association in, in that, that push and pull. But is there much of a distinguishing point between professional historians and uh, academic historians and other historians. I think of some of the greatest historical books written in all times. I don't think of uh, as they're not always written by academic historians. Yeah, you're right about that. You know, the practice of history is something, and there isn't enough time on 10 episodes of this podcast (laughs) to go through all the aspects of history. But if you think about it, we are all invested in history, even if it's just your own. There's something within each one of us that that causes us to want to know where we came from and want to know a little bit about our past. And and even if you're not as zealous as maybe I am about learning all I can about Texas history, you definitely want to know a little bit about it because you're part of it as a citizen of Texas. And so how that history is discovered and how that history is reported and learned is a huge topic. When the TSHA was founded in the late 1800s, the practice of history, the craft, the idea that there was such a person as a professional historian who would spend their whole career in the 
craft of history. That was fairly new in 1897. In fact, in, uh, and I may get this a little bit off, but in the late 1800s, and I want to say around the time the TSHA was founded, uh, there were only there were less than 20 doctoral degrees in history, exclusively in history, that had been awarded in the United States of America. Think about that. State historical associations were new in that time period. And of course, America was barely 100 years old, so maybe it's not all that surprising. Um, and so the idea of a quote-unquote academic historian or an academic that that specialized in history was a fairly new thing. Um, and so, uh, and the other thing about history is there's a lot of room for the non-academic practice of history that still adds much value to a place. For example, historical reenactors. I mean, mm -hmm. where you can go to a historic site and see people that see visually what it may have looked like. That's also history. Well, um, so it's a broad discipline. And there's always been a concern. I you remember uh, in reading John Adams how can he knew that uh, Jefferson was going to get all the credit. Right. That Jefferson was going to get all the credit, and everybody would remember that Ben Franklin discovered electricity, and that's all that people would know. Right. And he he was very worried about that. But you know, I'm thinking uh, about Texas and our history. There's such a culture about it. I mean, we we think that we're doing all this work now on the Alamo. And we want to doing a lot of research on the Alamo. But the Alamo has always been famous. It was famous from the beginning. Yeah. And your family was in Texas at that time. Yes. Uh, my family came. The, the earliest Texan that I've been able to identify is my great-great-grandfather, who was, uh, came in late 1836 to Houston. Uh, so he missed the revolution by a little bit, but not much. And uh, I think Texans love our history. And I really think... Because our history is so interesting and exciting and the characters are so unique, I mean, just like present-day Texas, there's a reason more people are moving to this state than any other state mm -hmm. because it's just a great place to live, and it's an interesting place to live. And there's a place for everybody in Texas. And if you think about it, it has always been that way. Now, that doesn't mean that Texas didn't experience the sociological problems and legal problems and, and distasteful relations between people that that every other place experienced. That's true in the past. Um, but when those, when those times have passed, Texas has always rebounded and been still a unique and interesting place. So um, I think that for that reason, I think Texans are more excited about their history than, than maybe other people are. Or I'm it, going to claim that. Anyway. It's it's a different. Well, uh, uh, former U.S. Senator Phil Graham, who's a, a good friend of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, he's a Georgian, and he's when he came to teach at Texas A&M, he said that he came here because it's it's different even than the rest of the South, that oh, there's not so much link to family in Texas. You can invent yourself and reinvent yourself. That's yep. what those guys at the Alamo were exactly. doing, was was reinventing themselves. And I just, the last person I interviewed on the podcast was a rabbi from New York who was happy to learn that there were four Jews at the Alamo, mm -hmm. something that he did not know. You know, we've got, the more you dig into Texas history, it's not cowboys in West Texas. That's right. not the only history. Exactly. It's, it's Every everyone has deep roots here. Absolutely, and and Texas has been and so Houston, where I live, is 
the most diverse city in the entire country. And that's, that's something to be proud of in 2024. But as you point out, even in 1836, Texas was incredibly diverse. And those, the people that built Texas were very diverse and they built a place, they combined those cultures, they combined they, what they brought from their place of origin into a unique and different and new and special fabric that we call Texas and a spirit that we call a Texas spirit. And they did so by coming together, by uniting despite their differences. And that's the kind of diversity we need. And look what it's built. So why would you ever want to tear that down? And and you and, and it really does create a diversity. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, here at TPPF, we went around the state and did focus groups. We wanted to know what people thought about being Texan. And we talked to African Americans uh, in cities. We talked to African Americans in the country. We talked to Hispanics in the valley and urban Hispanics and, and different groups. All of them consider themselves Texan. Yep. They all identified with the Texas story. Hispanic Texans identify with the Alamo. They know what happened at the Alamo, but that, that the story of independence, the echoing of our independence to the U.S. independence, that resonates for people. There's a, a, just a great sense of place here. And you, you say a, a word that's become controversial. I mean, diversity is part on our DNA as Texans. Absolutely. You, I mean, just the way we live our lives, if you think about it, the, think about the cultural markers uh, of any place, really. Uh, the food, of course, is near and dear to my heart. Just, just, look at, just look at the food that you grow up eating. I mean, you grow up eating Tex-Mex. If I don't have that once or twice a week, it ain't going to work. <laughs> You know, we uh, have kolaches that didn't come from the United States or <laughs> Texas. It came from some other came from Eastern Europe, but now is the most Texan food you can imagine. Um, and and of course, the Germans brought their ideas. And uh, you e- you can Egyptian you can, barbecue. I'm really big on Egyptian barbecue right now, and that's a nice fusion of that. And even in my lifetime, we had a great immigration of um, Vietnamese folks to Houston and the coast that that have been an incredible part of the fabric of Texas. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, we're all in this together, and uh, we're all Texans, and I just love that about Texas. And I see it, you know, every day in the courtroom, and it's just wonderful. Yeah, I think we're. it's ironic that we're f- fighting diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I think that's part of what happens at the battles at the TSHA and certainly the battles that we're, we're uh undergoing in academia. And part of it is just misinformation. So let me tell this story and then let's see what you think about it. It's, a co- it's like decades of misinformation. So in 1886, there was a 50-year anniversary of the people that had fought in the revolution here in Austin. And uh, James Austin Sylvester, the guy who pulled Santa Ana out of his hidey hole, he showed up. And the Austin American statesman had a whole story about Santa Ana's capture that did not mention him or his buddies that had done this. So he had uh, to go and get the documents that he had from Sam Houston, which commended him 
for capturing Santa Ana. And so they had that story wrong. And But as far as I know, they never corrected. So you've got people that have always been invested in mm -hmm. writing history wrong. And just I was thinking about that this week because I got... This may seem unrelated, but I'm sure you can you can do something with it, Judge. So I got a call from the Dallas Morning News wanting to know how we at TPPF could defend the fact that we were not going to teach uh, black history in Texas public schools because of the anti-critical race theory legislation. Well, as, as you may or may not know, Texas code requires the extensive teaching of black history in Texas public schools, including before the Civil War in Texas, the Civil War in Texas, Reconstruction in, in Texas, the Ku Klux Klan, terrorism, the Civil Rights Movement. But there's just an unwillingness to believe Truth about truth. That it's when, if if history has got to be about facts, how do you sort that out as an organization, dude? Well, I think you have to. Well, a couple of things regarding the TSHA specifically. Um, we are designed and and should function as a place where people with all different kinds of views can come and and get something. You know, come to the annual meeting, present at the annual meeting. Uh, we publish books. We educate teachers. We provide the Handbook of Texas online, mm -hmm. which is uh, gets millions of hits a year. Uh, anybody can submit an entry to the Handbook of Texas online. The entry will be vetted by scholars and published. You can be a published historian. Write your write history of your family. Submit it to the Handbook. Uh, and we have other handbooks: Handbook of Texas Music, Handbook of Texas Women, Handbook of Texas Medicine. Um, and others. So uh, we are we are a place for everyone, no matter how you want to practice history or what your views are. Um, but as far as how we do practice history, that's very, and which is what you were referring to with your uh, with the last part of your question. Uh, that's critically important, and that has really become a problem. Um, you've got to start with the past. What actually happened, to the extent you can determine it. From there, and you know, if you ask a question, if you're a curious person, you're seeking a subject, a historical subject to think about, learn about, write about, um, you do your investigation and you figure out what actually happened. And then you form your, your thesis about what actually happened and what it may mean, and then you write. Too often I see people who come at it from the opposite direction. They have a conclusion. And then they go and try to find evidence that refers to or seems to support their conclusion. They synthesize some thesis that really is not evidence-based. It's, it's coming out of their own head based on a, their own conclusion. And then they tie it all together and say, look, I've written history. Well, no, you haven't. You've written a closing argument for a trial. You haven't <laughs> written history. Which you know That's, a lot of. I know a lot about that. And what a closing argument is, is you have a conclusion and you try to highlight evidence that only supports your conclusion, and then you say, look at my conclusion. This is, this is the truth. Um, of course, in a trial, the other side gets to do the same thing, and a jury decides. What I'd like to see is, uh, is, is the history profession go back to, to what, when it was burgeoning at the time that the TSHA was founded, as I described, when it was a new, new discipline, 
sort of. Um, they referred to a sci- history as science. History is a scientific exercise where you're objective. And you think about hard sciences where you have a hypothesis and then you try to disprove it. And, um, you know, it's very, very evidence-focused. And you have to be objective. And we are not, as human beings, naturally objective. I can tell you because the state want, pays me to be objective. And it's a conscious act because it's really hard as humans to be objective. And I think we're in a time where a number of historians have just totally lost control of any sense of objectivity and don't think it's important. And I think the opposite is true. It's critically important because otherwise you can't, you can't really learn about the past. You mentioned African-American history. African-American history is Texas history and Texas history is African-American history. You can't tell the story of Texas without telling the story of black history. Mm-hmm. And that goes for any particular group. But what do we all have in common? It's all Texas history. We are all Texans mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And so we ought to all seek out that kind of history. And it's not a zero-sum game. And I think that's really one of the things that's really hurting our culture right now from the standpoint of the practice of history is, is a lot of people think, well, if I'm telling my story, we have to not tell your story. That if your story is getting told, then I'm losing something. Well, that's not true. There's room for all our stories, and they all ought to be told, and they all ought to be told based on the facts. And um, we'll all be better for it, and we'll be more Texan. That's what Texans do. Yeah, I think that's true. And as 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 you're as you're looking, uh, I think it's amazing. I think uh, people looking more at their ancestry. Is, is has yep. really enlivened interest in history. Uh, I hope so. And I've, I've talked about this. Uh, the uh, on the last census, uh, the number of people who identify as mixed race increased over two hundred percent. So people have a very broad idea about who they are. Right. And sometimes up at the Capitol when we're devo- uh, debating some of these issues and you see people, they're coming up and they're standing for this position or that position around the Civil War or whatever. And, you know, I want to say, have you looked at your whole chart? <laughs> because I've, I've told you my glorious history of, of my ancestor that was fought for the Union. Right. But I also have ancestors that fought for the Confederacy and also have ancestors that didn't fight at all. I mean, you, and had not good reasons. So right. you've got Everybody has that. There's it takes a lot of, of uh, people to make the the uh, the uh, DNA strands that just came down to you. So you've got a lot of stuff going on there, and you can't afford to get emotional about it. Right. It's it's. Uh, but I I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what you've learned, and why it's about Texas. What do you <laughs> study these stories? Did you does something? Has something surprised you? Did you start out thinking you were going to tell one story and end up with another? Well, golly, Wise About Texas, what a blessing that's been to me. Um, It it has uh, inspired me about how important history is and how much people love it. I started the podcast several years ago uh, sort of on a lark. Um, a couple of, of what we would, who we would call professional historians asked me in a casual conversation what I was working on, meaning what historical project, and I really <laughs> didn't have one. And I felt terrible because I spent so much time reading history, consuming mm-hmm. it. I was working on court record preservation. I was giving talks about court records and some of the stories in there, but I really wasn't writing scholarly history. I wasn't studying like I should have been. I wasn't producing. This is really important. Let me just interject that Judge Wise helped 
save a bunch of court records, Texas historical records, from being tossed out. Well, I was so. just one of many lawyers and judges around the state working on that very important issue because, you know, the stories of a community are really told through the court records. You can mm-hmm. learn a lot about a community, and, it, and they are understudied. Uh, you can discover a lot. But um, So I was working on that project, but I really wasn't – I didn't feel like I was giving back. And so I thought, well, I can do a podcast. That sounds fun. It gave me an excuse to buy some gear, uh, which I always like, and uh, learn something new. And so I did uh, five episodes, and I thought, well, if anybody's listening at the end of five episodes, then I'll keep doing it. And uh, over 2,000 people were listening by that point, and now it's over a million and a half. And so it really has become a big thing. I love it. Um, I don't have enough time to do it as often as I would like. Um, But it really has opened my eyes because I've had to go. What I like to do is go find stories that maybe people haven't heard before. Uh, For example, the first episode I did on the Alamo was not about the battle, was not about the building. It was about the survivors. And I thought that's something that people don't really think much about. And when you read about those kind of stories, uh, kind of the flip side of the main story, you learn a lot more about the main story, if that makes any sense. And so I I focus a lot on people. Mm -hmm. And um, if you look at the body of work, I'm now up to 100, almost 130 episodes. Um, I remarked to someone the other day, there seem to be a disproportionate amount of episodes about women, not because they're women, but because they were important historical figures who accomplished a lot on behalf of this state. and just stuff like that, you know. What's, I, it, what's uh, one of your favorite women ones? Oh, my favorite, one of my favorite, other than my mother, my favorite woman in, in Texas history is probably Angelina Peyton Eberly, mm-hmm. a fascinating character. She appears in um, lots of different episodes. She ran a tavern in San Felipe, the capital of Austin's colony. She was the last person to cross the Brazos when they evacuated the city and burned it. Um, I, one thing that I discovered... Uh, that had not been written about is about her was she got married to um, Jacob Eberly and the historians to date did not know where and did not know when well I discovered where and when and now that I've said that I'm not going to remember the date but she got married in the court of the district of Brazos uh, by Judge Benjamin Cromwell Franklin who was one of the first judges of Texas and uh, I discovered that record looking through Franklin's papers. And so now we know when she got married and because uh, he performed the wedding. And she ended up in Austin, uh, was a participant in the Archives War. She's the one that fired the cannon at the land office to prevent Sam Houston's men from taking the records of the government. She turned the cannon to the land office by herself and fired <laughs> it by herself. Uh, and there's a statue of her there on Congress Avenue, right. a fascinating woman. And I would love – she's got a biography, but she probably needs a new one. And uh, uh, she ended up in Indianola and unfortunately uh, died – or well, she died in Indianola, and then her grave was washed away in one of the hurricanes. But uh, fascinating person. But there are many more. So hundreds and hundreds to go. Yes. So what do people tell you about it? Is it – do people come up and say, you, anybody ever come up and say, Judge, you got this all wrong, here's the real story? I have had a couple of people correct me on things, and usually they're, they're correct. I, one episode I accidentally, you know, you misspeak when you're doing these podcasts, and I, I don't like to go back and edit, but uh, I didn't catch this, but I referred to Sam Houston as President of the United States, uh-huh. <laughs> and somebody pointed that out to me, and I, I just left it. I thought, well, that sounds good. Um, 
but so you make a mistake every now and then. But uh, I do get I, I get very occasionally I get that. Um, a lot of emails I get are people wanting to tell me their story, their connection to the story I told. And that's very, very interesting. And I've formed a lot of friendships around this state with people that have listened and, and said or, or found out something maybe about one of their ancestors that shared a name mm-hmm. with someone in the episode. Or even better, I've inspired them to go research their own family. And I always, always help people to the extent I have time and am able to do so uh, with their research and kind of put them to places. I get invited to speak all over the state, which has been a huge blessing because I love traveling around the state and meeting people. Um, and then uh, the most emails I get are story ideas. And I've got hundreds on a list. And uh, I love it when people say, that reminded me of this great story, or you need to come to this town and, and check out this story, and which I do every chance I get. It's been wonderful. Well, you talked about moving history back to uh, the time when it was seen as a, a science in the at the turn of the century. But as, as a I only read history. I don't read novels. And one of the things that I feel like really changed history is the computer because it allowed, when I think of a, a book like Team of Rivals, mm-hmm. it allowed Doris Kearns Goodwin to organize where each of those people were on any given day. Yeah. And when you, that's humanly possible to do, but pretty difficult. Very difficult. And, and and allowing you to and of course James McPherson did that with the Civil War, mm-hmm. but I mean it it does give us, you know, a way to to move in. I just read a wonderful history on um, Sam Adams. That and I've read a million histories on the run up to the to the Revolutionary War, but being able to go in and pull the day. This is what, where Sam Adams was. This is where the governor was. This is where three people you never heard of were. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's where uh, computers help us. AI will probably help us, but I yeah, don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting topic. It's, <laughs> uh, I did ask. I was messing around with AI and asked for a, a synopsis of the Texas Revolution, and again, it was terrible. It was wrong, but it, but. You know, who knows what it's going to be able to do. You know, one of the blessings of this time is that we do have so many archival resources being put online mm-hmm. um, because and, and that enables anyone to go find out, to go read the primary source, go read the letter, go read the muster roll, go read the battle report, go read the land titles, go look at the map. And that's uh, uh, that keeps getting better and better. And I think that's wonderful that anyone should have access to that, to those primary sources. And you can go and look and see to the extent we're able to, to determine what really happened and what were the state of affairs. And uh, that's really interesting. And I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned ancestry earlier. I use that a lot, obviously, and for not only for my own personal genealogy, but also I'll use it in my historical research to, to, as I, as I'm preparing a podcast, for example, I might run across a couple of people and don't have a lot of information on them and I can get on Ancestry and build their family tree and find out and you can find all sorts of documents um, 
so anyway, it's wonderful. It's like being a detective. I really like it. It goes well with my training as a lawyer. So it's, um, it's it's quite addictive. I know one of the things that Ancestry did was they digitalized the uh, Bear County records, mm-hmm. and that that were all those. Of course, Bear County is four hundred years old, so right. they they were able to get that beautiful script yes. of of all the uh, the uh, friars and monks and people that mm-hmm. were that were there doing that. Before we close out, you know, I'm on the 1836 project. Yes. Tell me what's on your wish list. What do you need to what do you think Texas needs to be very careful not to lose? What do you think we should digitalize next? How can we make this a priority? And let's see if we can't get the message to people that can make that happen. <laughs> well, I think we ought to digitize everything we can possibly digitize. Uh, uh, that should be an ongoing project and making make these records accessible to everyone. Technically, they are accessible. They're public. Public records, obviously, are accessible to anyone in, in the archives generally are accessible to anyone, but it's intimidating to go into an archive and put on the white gloves and leave all your stuff in the cubby and go dig through research. It's intimidating. It takes a lot of time. Uh, So anything we can do in that realm, I think, is a good idea. Uh, We have the bicentennial coming up in 12 short years, and we ought to be celebrating that uh, like nobody's business. The Texas Centennial uh, books have been written about the Texas Centennial celebrations, so we ought to uh, we ought to make it the biggest and the best. And I would like to see a focus um, on the fact that we are all Texans, and first and foremost, and we all have things in common. And uh, I hope that we will all be able to celebrate that in 2036. I, hope, I certainly hope I'm around to see it. I plan on it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And work on it, I hope. Absolutely. In 2036. One of the things that we need to categorize is uh, we've lost track of all the 1936 centennial monuments. So I know it's a priority for the Historical Commission in 1836. You're talking about the granite markers. The, the, yes. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of them. Right. But we don't have them all. Yep. We need to do that. Judge Wise, thank you so much. We could go on for an hour, but really appreciate having you here and talking history with us in 2024. So, well, uh, thanks for having me, and thanks for all you're doing with TPPF and this show, and God bless Texas. Thank you, absolutely. If you have not listened to Wise About Texas, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to this podcast, and you may need to subscribe because it has a new name at Spotify or Apple. You can follow me on X at Sylvester1630. If you'd like to receive my Ninth in Congress newsletter, you can sign up at the TPPF website, www.texaspolicy.com slash Ninth in Congress. 